Well, welcome back to the When I Heard This Podcast. My name is Nate Robinsoff, and I'm here with Joseph Tillman. How are you right now? I, th- uh, Joseph. <laughs> I am really well, though maybe a bit terrified to deal with today's topic. Why are you terrified? Because you have a way of asking questions that puts me into a corner sometimes, <laughs> and I see this one coming a mile away. Well, that's kind of the point. Is it, though? Should it be? I don't know. Is the mile... Okay, so I don't think that was my original intention, but if that's what you see, it's probably going to end up there. (laughs) It's going to end up there. At the end of the episode. Probably so. All right. So today we are talking about uh, pastors and why do they deserve money. (laughs) Right. And uh, because I don't see them do anything ever. Except preaching on Sunday. Right. You get an entire salary just to come on right. Sunday we like everybody the, else and stand we have on the, the stage. the highest hourly rate known to man. Yeah. <laughs> we, we work one hour a week. Yeah, right. So it's, it's unbelievable. That's crazy. My accountant cannot believe what I bring in for one hour's worth and of work And then the rest of the week you can go do other stuff. Right. Just hang out, you yeah. know, play golf. Yeah. Why don't you pastor like eight churches or seven churches <laughs> Or 14. Right. You know, how many services can you fit in a week? I mean, we could do a lot. And just tell the same sermon. Over and 14 over different places. And over again. Yeah. Yeah. And then pick a different one next week. <laughs> and then the next year, just do the whole thing all over again. Right. And especially now, since you can just, like, download the sermons from online, right. you don't even have to work to prep the sermons. Right. Right? You just read what someone else did. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah. You can just steal other people's sermons and no one will know. No. Ever. I need to look into this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that will be the one I... <laughs> so, uh, we're talking about you as a pastor. Yep. And uh, first up, up, up top, uh, like and subscribe to everywhere that you listen and go to Patreon. I'm just going to say that because we've said the other thing enough times, right? Yeah, that's fine. All right, cool. So, you're a pastor. Mm-hmm. And you get paid money to be a pastor. I do. What do I pay you for? So what am I doing? Yeah, what do you do? Are you wanting to do like a breakdown of my days or just in general? Like in what general. I'm doing? In general, yeah. for yes. So in general, what I'm doing is prepping for sermons. Okay, so it's a lot of study. Easy. <laughs> okay, sure. So doing a lot of study. I have meetings. Um, some of them are like discipleship type meetings. Others, others meetings are like board meetings or counseling sessions or elder meetings. Um, meetings. meetings. Um, and, uh, for some reason people like to take me out to eat lunch. I don't know what that's all about. Oh, wow. Eating lunch. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) Oh, I know. It's, It's great. Um, and, um, uh, then I make hospital visits. And then I visit our sick and our elderly. Yeah, then just kind of available to people throughout, you know, the so week. You're, you're a disease carrier. <laughs> Probably so, okay. to be honest with you. Um, All right. Yeah. Um, do funerals, do weddings. Then, of course, you know, uh, we're at a, a smaller church, if you were. And so I have to do the admin, most of the admin here. And uh, I say that. I'm not, I've delegated out a pretty good bit, actually. So I'm actually feeling good about the delegation, but 
I do have to do admin. Um, so I set a, a basically a day aside every week for admin. Now. Do you have to approve the admin? Uh, not really approve admin. Okay. Just do admin and help help our admin. We have different people doing some different things, and I, I do help them with it. Um, and then I, I do lead a few mission trips a year and kind of help with our outreaches we have, too. So those are kind of things that I'm doing. Okay, so what's a typical grueling day of pastoring look like? <laughs> You're being so malicious in this. Um, <laughs> so... Every day, to be honest with you, is really different for me. Okay. Um, and so and it's kind of the way I structure my days. I like things in, like, big chunks of time. So, I, for example, like, if I'm doing admin, I would I prefer all my admin to be done on one day. Okay. Uh, that's why my admin day. So, like, I'll take, like, a Tuesday and start off the morning discipleship meeting and then, like, have ad, do, like, admin the rest of the day. Wednesdays for me are like my sermon prep. So that's what I'm doing the bulk of like sitting down and studying for the sermon. So not necessarily writing all of the sermon, but studying for it. That's it. So studying. Um, and then of course we have Wednesday night services. Thursdays are like my meeting days. And like, so I just kind of stack meetings on top of each other that, that day. And so those are anything from discipleship meetings to counseling meetings, but I just kind of stack meetings on Thursdays. And then Friday is a little more loose for me in terms of it's not quite as um, fixed in its schedule, but there is more sermon prep time. Um, and I am going to school to get my doctorate. So I do read um, and study and write papers on Fridays as well. So if you weren't trying to be a super pastor, you would have another day off on Friday. <laughs> now, it's usually Fridays is like when I try to finalize my sermon. Okay. Yeah. So that's like study prep for the sermon, but then let's, let's really try to finalize it by that day. So and then Saturdays are kind of like my day with my family. Mondays are my day off. Sundays, y'all know what I'm doing on Sundays because you see me on Sundays. But I get here in the morning, kind of get things ready, make sure everything's cool for church, and we have service. And... I preach, and then usually take a family or so out to eat lunch afterwards. So that's kind of my days. So I'm sorry I didn't give you like one answer for every day. No, but, it's cool. But that's the, the way I divide up my days. I know pastors do it really differently, but for me, that's I like things in chunks like that, and it just helps me structure my days. So what is like what is a discipleship meeting? Yeah, so that's like when I would sit down with. One to three other people um, okay. can vary. The size of the group can vary. It could be me and just one other. It could be me and two others, and or me and three others. And so we we're sitting down and we're going over scripture together. We're praying together. Um, some of the groups are confessing sins with one another. That's really a, that's the bulk of it. Yeah, praying, reading scripture. Um, confessing sins, and also we just kind of hear what's going on in each other's lives, mm. and so which obviously helps us know how to pray for each other better. And so, yeah, it's a typical discipleship meeting. It'll you know generally last hour, you know maybe hour and a half. So, what's the difference between a discipleship meeting and just hanging out with some buddies? Well, when I'm just hanging out with some buddies, I'm typically not just <laughs> confessing sin. <laughs> Nate, and so, um, and uh, you know, or or just you know, randomly just starting to pray for people or quote scripture. So it's not like um, all right. So let's go ahead and demystify something real quick. 
Like, I'm not, like, walking around like some super spiritual, like, guy that's, like, chanting all the times or, you know, quote, quote scripture. Right. (laughs) Like, laying hands on everybody I see. Like, that's not happening. So, let's go to, like, I actually like to get together. Let's talk about the Georgia Bulldogs. How about we go to win their national championship? Hallelujah. So... (laughs) You know. Okay, what uh, what admin does a church have? Okay, so this is really going to vary depending on the size of the church. Okay. Okay, um, I'm in a smaller church right now, and so um, I'll, smaller churches just being, let's say, churches under 100 people. Okay. Okay, and, and actually, I say it's a small church, but that's also the majority of churches. Like, well over 90% of all churches are less than 100 people. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so majority of churches are this size. And so for admin for a church our size, the admin can be, you know, um, you know, I'm actually kind of the secretary at the same like I'm answering phone calls, right? But also like helping with bulletins, helping put together information for our our board meetings, helping to put, you know, information together for any outreach events. Um, so like I'll do admin to prepare for our outreach stuff admin to prepare for our mission trip stuff. So a lot of the kind of just the day-to-day kind of fall in that admin. Now, in some churches, and I, I am really, I'm, I'm really blessed where I'm at. Um, in some churches, the pastor is also in charge of like um, taking care of all the grounds. So the building, the, the, the lawn, and I'm really blessed. They, they don't actually expect me to do those things. They have other people doing that. And um, so I don't have to do those things, but I know some pastors, they have to take a whole day other week to make sure the, you know, to mow the grass and make sure everything looks perfect outside. And, you know, I don't have to do that. So I'm very thankful for that. I will sweep floors every once in a while just because I don't really mind sweeping floors. So, but those are kind of the, I think the main thing admin wise, um, we have someone else that takes care of all the bookkeeping and that kind of stuff. Um, that's one thing I just never do. I, I just do not touch money, deal with money, know who's giving money. Like, um, I'll get an information, I get a spreadsheet basically saying, Hey, this is how much we have spent. This is how much we've taken in. This is what we've spent on. And that's what I get. Make sure we're staying within budget, but I don't deal with all the money type stuff. So we have a bookkeeper who does that. What does sermon prep look like? All right. So for me, I preach through books of the Bible at a time. And okay. so like, I'm going through the book of Mark right now at our church. And so for me, I'm going, I'm looking ahead to the next passage of scripture that mm-hmm. I'm going to be preaching from. And then so I'm, I'm going through, I'm, I'm, I'm getting an idea of the basic general topic of, that I want to preach on, or at least the question that I want to ask of the scripture even if I don't know the answer to that, the question that like something that jumps out at me or sticks out at me, like what do I want to ask of the scripture, um, or what is the scripture asking of us? But a lot of times I'm asking, like, what am I, what am I asking of the scripture? Like, what, how can I understand it better? Like, what jumps out to me? What intrigues me? And then I start doing a deeper dive into the background. That's the first thing I do is I go into the background context of the scripture. Mm. So I want to like, so I have books that deal with nothing but background context. They're telling me what, so if I'm reading from Mark, for example, what's going on in this time period in the place that this is being written Mm -hmm. so that I get a a better understanding of the background of things. Then I look at the language 
And so I'm wanting to know, are there idioms, like Greek idioms, in the in what I'm reading that maybe I don't know is an idiom, but it is mm-hmm. in the original language? And so I'm going through the original language, I'm going through the background context, and then uh, I, I'm going into the kind of a theological dive. So what do theologians or biblical scholars say about these passages? How do they interpret them? And so I'm, it's kind of like sermon prep's kind of like that gathering of all of this information. And then that helps me as I'm prepping the sermon, that helps me to possibly answer the question or see something I didn't think of before, or it may take me in a whole new direction of the sermon, kind of depending on what I come across. And so that's kind of my, when I say sermon prep, or that's what I mean by prepping or studying. Mm. That's, it's a lot of just context. Uh, what is an occasional lunch meeting? <laughs> Occasional lunch meeting. Yeah, so on Wednesdays... I'm just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) I like how you immediately went into, I'm going to explain my occasional lunch meetings. I'll answer whatever. (laughs) I'm leaving that in. Thursday, you have meetings. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? I have a meeting in... On Thursday mornings, that is me and a couple other pastors, um, and we are meeting together. And that's one of my groups where it's a largely um, a confessional meeting, but also kind of encouraging that kind of thing. So you guys can all get your get your story straight. Your <laughs> yes, exactly your right. Top down vision going right. Okay, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So yes, yeah, so it's it's a it's a couple of our pastors uh, from the community. We get together and we talk through things. We talk about how. And we even talk about what can we do jointly together for the sake mm. of the community, but just some like-minded uh, brothers. And then other meetings are, again, discipleship meetings like we've talked about before. Um, I have a couple of those on Thursdays where I meet with individuals. And then I also set up, so like if I'm going to do counseling, I try to do counseling sessions on Thursdays, or if I have to do meetings for mission trips or for maybe outreaches or whatever, I I try to do those largely on Thursdays as well. And so kind of anything that kind of falls in the meeting world, I try to put into Thursdays. Okay. I think that's all the things. And of course, all of that, like that's my... And then you have Wednesday, you have Wednesday night service and and Sunday service. Correct. you do. Yeah. So Wednesday night, um, I actually teach... it's like more of a conversational type teaching. So it's not like me just like standing from a pulpit or standing up lecturing. It's more discussion based. Mm. I guess the way to phrase that more conversational discussion based. So we have topics that we, we talk through and that's Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm at church, I'm greeting people. I'm, I'm preaching quote unquote, kind of leading the service uh, in terms of the flow of it. But um, yeah, that's Sundays. So what else do you do? Well, the things that get thrown into the midst of all of this, uh, so I can structure my my meetings and my or my weeks as best I can, and some weeks go smoothly. It, it looks just the way I scheduled and planned it out, and other weeks it doesn't look that way at all. Mm. Um, and so, if we have someone that that is that gets really sick, for example, then I'm probably going to make hospital visits. Mm. Um, uh, if we have someone pass away, then I'm going to be doing funeral preps, you know, and it's one of those things where I don't know if people think, well, that, that doesn't happen that often. And, and you're right. It is not happening like all the time, but I have, I've been to at least one funeral a month um, for the last like six months. 
Hmm. So funerals happen and funerals, if, and especially if I'm a part of it. So that's, you know, I'm meeting with the family and we're discussing and talking through things um, of the order of service for the funeral. We're, you know, I'm obviously present at the viewing and I'm talking with family members and trying to get a gauge of things that they would like to be shared. And then obviously it's kind of prepping and, and putting together a eulogy for the actual funeral itself. Mm. Um, that's hopefully representative of what the family would like to be shared and said. So funerals happen. I mean, weddings happen. You know, you do have times where crisis kind of happens in families. And so I may get a phone call in the middle of the night and, hey, we, we don't, you know, we don't know where one of our kids are, you know, like a teenager or whatever, kind of, you know, um, or, hey, we've, you know, something else has happened and can you come over here? And so those, I mean, that kind of stuff happens sometimes too, but those are kind of the, you know, those are the kind of things that really kind of just jump into the week that um, calls the week structure to vote pretty differently. Um, outreaches, mission trips, like I know when those things are coming, so I can structure around those things um, in terms of prepping for them. Yeah. So that's, those are kind of the other things that I do. And, I, you know, and outreach and mission trips are things that I just love. I'm passionate about. So those things I genuinely do enjoy, but I also try to delegate out a lot of the tasks that are associated with them um, and even delegate uh, for some of our mission trips. I've even delegated out not just responsibilities, but even the authority to make decisions on those trips. But I'm involved in all of them. What is your favorite part of being a pastor? Now, my favorite part about being a pastor, honestly, is walking with people through seasons of life, whether that is difficult seasons. Which seasons? Challenging seasons of life. Winter? <laughs> no. no. So, um, so I'm just going to ignore you at this point. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so walking with people through you know various seasons of life, um, again, whether that's those are tough things or whether it's exciting things, whether it's um, someone graduating college or you know the birth of a child or whatever. Like, so I I genuinely love connecting with people and just walking with them through those things. Um, you know, obviously when it's a challenging season, there's been a you know a loss of life or a loss of a job or whatever it may be, um, a loss of a, a marriage. Those seasons are really those are hard, but there's something there's just something about connecting with people and walking them through that, and it's. And it's not like, and it's not like this sense of like, oh, I'm a hero and I'm going to really be able to help them, that kind of thing. It's more of just, I'm, I'm with you for people to know they're not mm. alone in those seasons and they're heard in those seasons. And hopefully you're some type of representation of how close God is to them in the midst of that. And so I love doing that. Um, and then, I mean, I, I obviously, like, I really love preaching. Um, I love preaching. And so crafting sermons for the sake of being able to preach, I, I love that too. So those are probably my two favorite things is walking with people through those seasons of life and again, challenging or exciting. And then preaching, preaching scripture to me is just one of the greatest. I've, I feel like it's one of the greatest honors of my life that I get to do that. To interpret God's word is horrifying in one aspect, but it's incredibly joyful to me in another. So those are, those are probably the two things I enjoy doing, like that I like do that I enjoy the most. But one of the things I really do enjoy in regards to being a pastor is watching people be transformed into just loving Jesus more and more. Like 
whether there's the guys I'm discipling or just people like in the church congregation, like just seeing them transformed into just radical lovers of Jesus. Just, yeah, that's, that's, that's just about as good as it gets. What is your least favorite? And I see your answer, but that's a cop out. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> My least favorite part of being a pastor is the admin aspect of things. Like, I'm not an administrator. Like, I'm just not. And I think that there are pastors who really enjoy the admin part, but I'm just not one of them. Like, I'm not administratively wired at all. These are things that, like, that's why I have a day set aside now. It's like, all right, on Tuesdays, early in the week, let's get this stuff knocked out. And so, definitely not an admin guy. What's your second least favorite? (laughs) I will say that one of the things that is not life-giving, okay? Funerals. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> All right. So no. I actually and this sounds really morbid and weird, maybe. Oh, here we go. I but I do actually enjoy <laughs> that sounds so bad, but I enjoy officiating funerals. Again, it's the whole thing of walking with a family through things. Um so I actually like that part, but no, so getting back to your actual question, um <laughs> One of the things that is that can be challenging for me is when I'm in the midst of counseling with people. I have a tendency to want to like jump in and save them. Uh, you know, okay. almost like a little bit of a savior complex. And I've really had to recognize that, acknowledge that, and try to back away from that. In other words, still do counseling, mm-hmm. but recognize that I can't I can't save them from their situation. Mm-hmm. I can give the best counsel I can, but in many circumstances, I will need, you know, to direct them to someone else who can maybe help them more eff- effectively than I can, mm-hmm. depending on what's going on in their lives. But, uh, you know, but obviously I'm available and I'm f- um, I, I'm here for people when they want to talk, and, that, and and I and I genuinely do enjoy hearing from people, listening to people. But I just have to be careful to not go into that savior place, like savior complex place, or go into like allowing it to be almost like codependent. Like if they're going through a hard time, now they're starting to lean on me, and, mm. and me starting to feel validated by being needed, and that can create a codependency early on in my ministry. I allow that to happen too much. Mm. And so I'm very guarded with that now. Does and that happen to a lot of pastors that do counseling? Yeah, it does. Okay. It's it's one of the it's one of the things that yeah, it happens too frequently. Uh-huh. Because it, you know, like you've got someone and they're trusting you with their life, with what or what the issues of their life, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you start feeling this validation in that, but then they also need you. So they're needing you and you're needing that validation and it creates that codependency. And it's really unhealthy. And so to be able to, for me to have proper boundaries, for me to not just be available 24-7 for every single emergency Mm. that this person may have. It's not that I'm not available, but I'm not going to allow their emergency to become my emergency. Mm. Because sometimes it's a legitimate emergency. Other times it's not. It seems really like big and important to them, but it's not necessarily, it shouldn't encroach on, on me at midnight, mm. for example. Um, uh, I try to be careful with boundaries. I try to be careful with, so I have to be very, I guess, very intentional 
mm. in, in counseling. And it's not this like life giving where I walk away going, that was awesome. I'm grateful. I'm thankful if I can give some counsel to help people. I love it if it's more of like, let's go through scripture and see how what scripture has to say about this kind of thing. But, you know, a lot of times it's not necessarily that. It's just people going through things and they need someone to share with. And then, I mean, I'm all for listening to that. But then if they're going through it, they're like, hey, I'm having issues with my kids or my spouse, and, I, and and can we meet with you? And it's like, yeah, absolutely, you can meet with me, but I, I try not to allow it to go like too far out, mm-hmm. like too many meetings, in other words, because I think that's probably where it gets, it, it's just easier to get into that codependent place. And, um, and it's not that I don't care, but it's also acknowledging I'm not a professional counselor. Like I'm right. a biblical counselor. Like that's what I am. I have to acknowledge that as a biblical counselor, I can only take, I can only go so far with people and what I can give. And so, yeah, that's, I think that's the, it's, it's not only like one of my least favorite, it's just, it's the hardest part for me. Like that's the hardest part of my job. It's just a lot to think about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it's just not one of those things I walk away going, man, that was incredible. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. Right. That doesn't happen very much for Mm -hmm. me when I'm doing counseling. Where I know other pastors may thrive in it. They love it. They love doing that part. And that's, but that's not me. Is there anything else that's hard about your job? People. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Dealing with people's um, expectations. Of church? Of church, of me as their pastor, okay. of other people, uh, pastor's family, whatever it may be. Dealing with people's, uh, I mean, personalities. We're all a bit quirky, right? Like, I think all of us are quirky. Who's quirky? And I think all of us are hard for some people to deal with, okay? And so it's not like I'm singling out people like, oh, they're just always hard to deal with. Like, reality is, you know, some personalities just don't click and... and I'm sitting right here. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to name you by name. You know, yeah, dealing with the... the I mean, it's, it's weird because my favorite part is the people. Mm. But one of the hardest parts can be the people. It's, you know, it, it's simultaneously. It's also like navigating through conflict. Are people like, people like at a normal job, you don't really have to deal with, do you have to deal with people more personally and more involved mm-hmm. as a pastor than like at a normal job? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, yeah probably. Okay. I mean, because it's interesting because, you know, I generally pastors become one of the safe places for people to share what's going on in their lives, right? Right. So like I end up knowing a whole lot about a whole lot of people, mm. which is fine, no problem. So yeah, it's more personal that way, right? But then there's also the expectation part. Um, so, so let's put it this way. It's kind of weird because it is so personal. Mm. It is more like friends or family. But then I'm also being expected to be a pastor and serve a job, Right for them, mm-hmm. and that's what's I think kind of the weird dynamic at times. And so, therefore, when I don't do something right, or there's an oversight for me on a professional side, on the job side, now it can become more personal to them, right? Because we are more personally connected, right? Because of the nature of a relationship between a pastor and his congregation. Mm-hmm. So I do think that that's that can you're counseling the same people that you have to do a job for right okay yeah and and it's it's just it's again it's one of the joys because you get to know people really well and you're connecting with them and it's awesome but also it's like 
it's hard. Like in, in the sense of like, you know, when you're walking through conflict resolution with people, you know, and I, I mean, I've had people say before, like, there's no way I could be a pastor. I couldn't deal with all this stuff, <laughs> you know? And it's like, but I genuinely do love walking with people through all this stuff. Um, but yeah, but it can be, it can be hard and difficult when expectations, especially expectations get really kind of out of whack a little bit, or the expectation is almost for you to be perfect, to never forget an important date or day or event and you do. And now it's just really personal as opposed to my boss forgot it. Oh, well. Yeah. Like how you forgot Christmas this year. (laughs) I don't know how you do that. I don't know. That was one of of the really weird ones. (laughs) Yeah. So those are, you know, so at times people can be hard, but again, uh, you know, for those in my church listening to this podcast right now, just know that I love you. Gross. <laughs> you can cut that out. <laughs> no. What does a bad pastor who's bad at his job look like? A bad pastor yeah. who's bad at his what do, job. What does he look like? What do bad pastors, what are they up to? <laughs> Man, probably a lot of stuff. I don't know. Um, I will say this. like If a, if a pastor is just lazy... Right, like just lazy. And I'm talking about pure job performance. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like they're just not doing it. <laughs> what are they doing? Well, okay, lazy. They're yeah. not doing their job. Yeah. Right. Literally, like preaching one sermon a week, and they downloaded that sermon from the internet. Mm. Okay, that's terrible. Um, and you've never done that before. I've no, I've never okay. done that before. Yeah, I think the other side of it is like when a pastor is not just like there's lazy on one side, and there's like workaholic pastor on the other side, and he's just working, 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 working. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from trying to get a sense of self worth or value from the job, and so you just work like crazy to the to the point of neglecting like marriage and kids, and mm. that's that's. That's not okay. Yeah, so on a job performance-wise, I mean, obviously you can have pastors who are terrible in their character. Right. Right, but you're not asking about that. No. A pastor that's not in touch with what's going on with his congregation, Mm. right? He's so removed from them. He may be able to preach great sermons, but he's not connected to the congregation. That's not... Like, that is not the definition of a pastor, according to Scripture. Like, according to Scripture, pastors know their congregation. Mm. They know what's going on with them. They know what's going on in their lives. They're a part of their lives. They're part of that church community. Um, They're not just the token guy that stands up and preaches a sermon once a month, or or once a week, excuse me. That, to me, like, someone that would be just that out of touch um, with what's going on in the congregation, that's, to me... I mean, I mean, I don't know. You may be a public speaker, but you're not a pastor at that point. So what does Scripture say about pastors specifically and what they should be? Yeah, most people probably have no idea of this. The word pastor, so it's literally translated shepherd, okay? Mm-hmm. But that word pastor is literally only found one place in all of Scripture. Revelation? Nope. Good try. Good try, though. In Ephesians chapter 4... Okay. Verse 11, it mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay. That is the only place a pastor is mentioned. And it goes on to say that those five, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, are given as gifts 
to the body of Christ from the Lord, and not that they're special, not that they're higher than, but in other words, like they're like think of it as like hand, being handed over to the church. Mm. So the church now holds them, okay, and so the pastor's now there and to, to being there to serve that church, okay? In that passage in Ephesians, it goes on to say, for the sake of equipping the church, the, the saints, for the work of ministry, then to see this, the, the church come into the full stature of Christ. In other words, so in other words, that we're to, we, as a pastor, according to Ephesians chapter 4, we're to equip the church so that they could go and they could, they can minister and they can do the works of Christ. And we're also to see them be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Really, the only way we can fully equip and the only way we can fully um, be able to see them transform the likeness of Christ is to know them, mm. know what's going on with them, know where they are in their seat of life, know where they are in their walk with the Lord, know the, the tradition, the history of the church, know, you know, what people's expectations are, you know, of Christ, of being in Christ, knowing, understanding their identity in Christ. And we have to know those kind of things so that we can actually see people go into maturity so we can see people released into the work of ministry. So that's actually the only place in all of the New Testament that talks about what a pastor should do. That's what a good pastor looks like. All of those doing all of those things. Yeah. Okay. Doing those two things. Okay. Yeah. And in Hebrews chapter 13, okay. Okay. Um, in Hebrews 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoken who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. So pastors should be those that can, their faith should be imitated. In other words, I should be able to look at pastors and see their faith mm. and go, I want to, I, I want to live a life of faith like that. Okay. So they should set an example, in other words. Okay. Okay. In verse 17, though, in terms of like what they're doing, it talks about leaders and it says, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And I think that is kind of the essence of it is so when someone asks me actually what do you do like at the core what do you do mm. i keep watch over souls and i'm held accountable for them that in the is the essence for me of what i'm doing is i'm wanting like my job quote unquote is to to understand to know what's going on in the lives of people so that i could see their souls not only be transformed in the likeness of Jesus, but you know, flourish in Jesus and grow in Jesus, but to but to care for them, to know what's going on. And so when there's grief, to know there's grief. When there's hurt, to know there's hurt. When there's joy, to know there's joy. Like again, that's kind of like when I talk about walking with people through the seasons of life, it's like knowing what's going on in their souls. And and it and I think that's one of, it can be kind of a hard one too, because you have a lot of things happening simultaneously in your church. So you can have someone that is incredibly joyful that the Lord has miraculously after years allowed them to become pregnant, right? Mm. And they're on cloud nine. They are beyond excited. And simultaneously, you can have someone who is dying of cancer. And so as a pastor, I'm having to kind of navigate these both of these, right? And as a church family, it's not just the pastor that's doing this. As a church family, we're doing this. We're celebrating with one and we're grieving with another. I think those kind of rhythms, it, it can be difficult. I understand that. 
But that's kind of like what I want to be in tune with, right? With the church. Mm-hmm. I want to be in tune with what's going on, who's struggling in their jobs, who's struggling in their families, who's struggling in life, who's, you know, like. Because God deals with this all the time. And God is handling all this all the time. And I, I'm just, I'm just wanting to somehow, you know, care mm-hmm. for, for our flock. And so, and, and that's the best way to know how to phrase it really is like when it talks about, you know, watching over souls, it's that idea of, of knowing what's going on in someone's life and caring, offer them care that's appropriate. You know, again, it's not codependent. It's not mm-hmm. me as, you know, kind of this solo hero leader or me in this savior complex, but rather it's just me as a pastor who's wanting to serve and care and to, to see God's will happen in your situation and wanting to see God come up near you and close to you and you know and experience God. And that's, I guess that's, that's the biggest part of, of what we're doing as pastors or should be doing as pastors. So when pastors are not engaged and knowing people and knowing their flock, then that's what I'm saying. I, I don't know if they're pastors anymore. Okay. They, may, they may be preachers. They're not pastors. So what do pastors of like, like what's Joel Osteen doing? What do pastors of very large churches do? This one differs too. Okay. Um, so like if you're in a mega church, right? Mm-hmm. So you're in a church of over a thousand members. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your pastor, it really depends on the pastor, but a lot of pastors will see themselves as like a CEO. Okay. It's so like the chief executive officer who's kind of overseeing big picture operations of the church. Mm-hmm. So they're not getting down into the 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 daily minutia of things. Um, you know, they're kind of setting the vision of the church and kind of setting the course of all right, this is where we're going this month or this year. And so they're like more like the visionaries for the church. They're making sure that the overall health of the programs at the church the health of the programs, the health of the finances are all good. So that's really more of like what they're overseeing. And everything just becomes way more specialized in a larger church. Because in a larger church, you have a lot more staff. Like, for example, the, the, the lead pastor, the senior pastor, may have an executive pastor. And that executive pastor is maybe keeping tabs on all the other staff members and making sure that everything is working properly, they're communicating as they should. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then you're also going to have, you know, you're going to have people leading the youth group program. You have people leading the children's program. You're going to have people leading the outreaches, different people leading worship, the worship department or music department, you know, different people leading missions. Then you're going to have, you know, secretaries and bookkeepers and everything else. So it's, Everything just becomes a lot more specialized. Okay. Um, and so I know, for example, I heard one senior pastor of a large church like this, and he says that his whole job is to is to give vision for the church. Then on a more week-to-week basis, he is prepping a sermon, and he's developing leaders. And so he's shepherding. That's his job. He's shepherding shepherds to shepherd. Correct. Is that still good? I don't think it's ideal. Okay. And here's why. Even in a smaller church of a few hundred people, right? There's no way I'm going to know everything that's going on with everybody. Even mm. in a church of a hundred people, I'm probably not going to know everything that's going on with everybody. Okay. So I'm not sitting here saying I've got to know everything about everybody, mm. but I know enough about what's going on in people's lives. When a pastor is not, when all that pastor is doing is dealing with, just his leadership, 
mm, feel like he's too far removed from the congregation. If, in other words, if developing leaders is just developing staff, I'm not sure that's the healthiest model. If that individual's not out there, I mean, it, they at least need to be developing or deci- I, would, I would use the word discipling, discipling other people besides just the ones that are on their quote-unquote staff, to, to be an effective pastor. You know, we're not talking about an itinerant minister who can just come in there, preach, or I'm not itinerant, but like an evangelist, you know, mm. like he's just coming in there to preach for a week and they're out of there, right? That's fine. But for a pastor, they need to know what's going on. Like, I don't know how you even shape sermons if you don't know what's going on. And I'm not saying that every sermon needs to be based off of what's going on in the church, but I'm saying sometimes things happen in the church that will directly impact what you say on a Sunday morning. What do you mean? So, for example, um, at our church recently, we lost a dear sister in Christ um, to a battle with cancer. And so before I proceeded on with the service that morning, because uh, she had just passed away that morning, that Sunday morning, I stood up before the congregation, made sure that all the congregation knew that she had passed away, and then talked about how we as a church can process loss and process grief. For your whole sermon? Didn't do it for the whole sermon. Oh. But I I was willing to forego some time on my sermon. So I cut out like 10 minutes or whatever it was of my sermon to make sure that I had time to address the congregation. Mm. And so I did that like the first thing. Like my welcoming was welcome to the church. And then I went straight from that welcome into discussing this Mm -hmm. because I felt like it was really important for us as a church to walk through this loss together. For me, that was important. If I'm, if I'm pastoring in a really large church, I mean, a few dynamics can be pretty different, right? One person passes away. I hate to be cold about this. One person passes away. It's one person among a thousand, not one person among 60, right? Mm -hmm. Where that one person was known by all 60 or most of the 60. And whereas this one person among a thousand may not be known by 90% of the church, Mm. you know? So that's a really big difference in the dynamic of the church. And so the impact may not be felt quite as hard. So something like that may not be quite as needed. But I do think that kind of gets to me to to, to a bigger issue though, because now what are we doing? Are we just prepping good sermons which I'm not knocking good sermons. Like, I prep a lot for sermons. Like, I want a good mm-hmm. sermon. But it all happens in the context of the community I'm in. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to preach differently in the church I'm in now than, than previous churches I've worked in, based upon what I know about the people here. If I don't know these things about the people here, like, I don't know how effective my sermons actually are. They may sound nice. They may sound good. But are they actually impacting the people here? Um, so a, a pastor of a big church doesn't get to know the effects of what they're doing. And yeah, so and they end up setting a course to send things the direction that they want it to go so that they can see results. Right. Okay. They can be yeah. And I'm not saying every pastor out there is this cold hearted, result oriented yeah. person of I'm not saying every mega church pastor is like that at all. Okay. okay. And I have but it's friends, easier to be that way. But it's easier to be that way because you're removed from it. Yeah. And it's not that you're trying to be cold. Right. It's just we have 8,000 people. We're going this way. Yeah. You know, like, follow, yeah. you know? And I think that's a little different. And I'm not, again, I'm not sitting here telling you that every mega church is bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is they, they like small churches, but there's unique challenges about mega churches. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I'm, I'm not sure. And small churches have to ask themselves the same question. The same question goes for both small and large churches. Like, what are we doing to make disciples? We have to be making, we have to be about the business of making disciples. For me, I need to know the context of my community, of the people in the in our church, that's in our community, for us to be able to walk this journey of making disciples together. Mm. And I think it'd be really hard to do that if I'm just on a stage speaking to a thousand plus people every Sunday without knowing really what's going on in that community and with these people. But I also know pastors of churches that are that size, they have an open door policy. In other words, you can come in and talk to them at any point. They're not removed from the congregation. Mm -hmm. And they do have a much greater sense of what's happening in their community. They're active in the community. They're active in their church or with the people, not just the staff, with the people at church. And so they know what's going on um, a little better. And so I I think it probably all depends and hinges on how that senior leader interacts. Doesn't your community just get bigger? Like how we we need city government and county government and mm-hmm. state government doesn't your community just get bigger so like you're talking to the community on more of a political scale instead of a personal one yeah I, yeah i don't know if i'd use necessarily the word political scale but okay yeah but because of what people may think when you hear that right but but definitely from a uh yes it's, it's definitely not as personal yeah. And so that's what I'm saying. When you're in that size church, when I'm preaching, it's all about crafting a good sermon. Right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like it's about it's about crafting this and then and then I become known for my ability to craft a sermon instead of my ability to pastor. Okay. Preaching is a part of what I do. It's part of pastoring. But it's not all of pastoring. Mm. I have to, you know, like if you're using the shepherd analogy, because we said that's what the Greek word literally means is shepherd. So I have to feed the flock, right? I have to feed the sheep. But then I also, as a shepherd, I have to know my sheep. I have to know they're okay. I have to know if are any of them expecting. I have to know if any of them are hurt and wounded and can't move. You know, I have to know. I have to know those things. So feeding them is only one aspect of it. And so preaching for me is one aspect of pastoring. And I think it's an important one because in our preaching. We're conveying, the, we're interpreting the words of God. It's incredibly important, but it is not the only thing I'm doing as a pastor. What are the minimum requirements to be a pastor? In 1 Timothy 3, it talks about the qualifications for an elder. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that word is translated as overseer or bishop, but that same word is translated there. In Acts chap- It's used again in Acts chapter 20 when elders are being asked to give oversight to their churches. In 1 Timothy 3, it lays out qualifications of an elder, and therefore I would say also a pastor. It says this, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. So 
all of it is character, except for one thing where it says that he's able to teach. So the qualifications physically capable to yeah. speak. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and but to teach, right, they would have understood that as uh, a teacher is fairly highly esteemed. In other words, they're able to articulate the truths of Scripture, mm. okay, or the truths of what the at this time of what the apostles were handing down, mm. okay, the apostles' teaching. So, but someone who can teach, who has a knowledge of Scripture and can teach the Scripture, the qualifications for a for being a pastor really are about character and not about charisma or natural giftedness or intellect, but rather character and with the ability to teach. So those are the qualifications for a pastor. Why did you want to be a pastor? Because it was super easy and you could get paid? <laughs> nah, dog. <laughs> that ain't it. <laughs> get paid to go out to lunch? <laughs> it's even better when they buy your lunch. I don't know why they do that. That's awesome. Um, Honestly, three months after I got saved, I knew I wanted to go into ministry. Like every other person that ever got saved. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So, so at 17, I knew I wanted to go into ministry, right? And then in college, I still wanted to go into ministry. And then after, I guess it was after my final year of college, I just really knew I wanted to be a pastor. Um, I had thought about doing mission work. I thought about doing um, evangelism work. But I had an experience one summer where I was leading a group of interns in Brazil, and I just loved it. I loved not just being in Brazil and ministering internationally, which I do love that still to this day, but I loved walking with a group of people for a few months. And I was like, man, I love this. I want to be a pastor. That's really what made me want to do it. I have been pastoring Started as a uh, began as a youth pastor for a couple of years, and then I was a senior pastor for about seven, an associate pastor for about ten, and now I'm a senior pastor again. I I love it. I love just postering people. And and this sounds and this is gonna sound so cheesy, and I, I know it's gonna sound cheesy, but like I honestly could not imagine myself doing anything else. Like I love this. I love the. The honor, the privilege that it is to be a pastor, I, I love just what I get to do. Um, and I'm not saying I enjoy every moment of it, and I'm not saying there's, no, there's not been times where I'm like, I'm done, I quit, okay? Like, I think we all experience that in, in, our, in whatever we're doing career-wise, but I just, I, I just love it, and I know I'm called to it, and I, that's why I just honestly could not imagine doing anything else. Um, I have been given opportunities to go work in different kind of nonprofits or other ministry, para-ministries, or go and teach. And all those kind of things are fine. But, man, I, if I was not pastoring, I, just, I would feel very, um, I think, unfulfilled because I would feel like I was not doing what I was called to do. Everyone who becomes a Christian at whatever time always wants to be in ministry. They think that's what they're going to do when they right. first become a Christian. So what, like you said that you just realized that you really liked it, but so did all of them. So <laughs> so what was the difference? Like what, like what was the difference for you? I don't know. I got involved teaching when I was in college. I was just a college student. I got involved, you know, I say teaching, like leading Bible studies, you mm -hmm. know. I had the opportunity to work in you know ministries during the summer and just loved it. How and did you get those opportunities? 
Like, did people like? So, yeah. So when I was did in, people notice it in you? I guess that's what I'm trying to ask. Like, did people yeah. see it in you, and yes. so they were asking you to do it? Yeah, there was definitely a lot of asking okay. <laughs> by people um, toward me, and but it was also something I like. There were a couple of ministry opportunities during some summers that I really wanted to be a part of, mm. and so you know, I applied, I interviewed, and was chosen to to you know be part of that summer ministry mm. while I was in college, um, and that was great. And then after school. Um, I was asked to, you know, work with an international evangelist for a year. And so I took the opportunity to do that and loved it. Just loved it. Um, and then, you know, then I went to theology school and kind of just started, I don't know, moving from there. And in terms of like, why did it work out? I think maybe, I don't, maybe it's what you're asking. I'm not sure. Kind of. Yeah. I, I don't have any like magic answer for that other than i mean again i knew i was called and i really gave myself to it because you're right i mean i even had people ask me like how did you get to be this and do that and i don't have good answers for them because it's just like well i was like all right so for example when i was a youth pastor Mm -hmm. this is part of it some of it is like are you willing to sacrifice to get it right like when i was a youth pastor i was making like 660 dollars a month when 20 years ago. Right. So, which was like 4,800 bucks today. <laughs> I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> and, you know, like it covered my rent for my apartment that I was living with a couple other guys and food and utilities. And I think that's about it. You know, like, I mean, I was willing to go, yeah, I'll. I'll do that mm. um, just so that I could be in ministry, right? And I was simultaneously going to theology school. You know, sometimes I think it's just like, are we willing to, are you, one, are you willing to sacrifice? Um, but then two, I don't know. I think some of it is just, it's, it is just calling. And I don't know. I, I'm just very grateful and thankful. I guess all I can say is that I have gotten an opportunity to do this because I understand you're right. There's in the Christian circle and Christian world, you get saved and like, you're right. Everybody's like, I'm called, I'm called into ministry. And, and it doesn't always work out that way um, for people. And so grateful and thankful that it did for me, but I don't have any secret magic answers for that. Does this, does this podcast mean I'm in ministry now? <laughs> That's a good question. I guess it depends on what we're def- how we're defining ministry, right? So if we're defining ministry as serving, okay, because that's what the word, you know, that's, that's in essence what I'm getting to with that word is I'm serving. And so am I, are you, are you serving the people of Christ? I think you are through this podcast. So yeah, bro, you've made yourself, you've, you have, you have found yourself mm. in ministry. How does that feel? No. <laughs> so when people ask me how I get in ministry, I'll say, I don't know. Ask Nate. Now, do you get asked what you do all the day a lot? No one, like no one ever asked me that question. Okay. I mean, rarely do they ask me what I do all day. What what they do is they ask my wife what I do all day. Oh, okay. And then she has to answer that question for me. What does she say? I need to ask my wife what she's okay. telling people. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, she, because, I, I mean, know. yeah, I don't know. good question. Um, no, she knows, she, like, kind of like the layout I went through earlier. Mm. She's very aware of that layout. And, um, yeah, so she's very aware of, of that. And so I think that that's the, yeah, so she tells them in essence what I mentioned earlier, how my days are broken up and 
basic things that I do. Do they um, ask her that a lot? She says she gets asked a pretty good bit. Okay. That question. I think a lot of people just want to know. I don't think it's like an indictment on anybody, but mm. I think they want to know, like, what what are they doing during the week? It's like this great, great mystery to people. Mm. I don't know why, but I guess it is. Are you a good pastor? As, uh, I'm... I'll let other people answer that question for me. You're not going to let me get away with that, are you? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. I I don't know, man. Uh, I think there's times I've been a good pastor and really walked with people and cared for people, and then I think there's times I've been terrible at it. So, Have you gotten better? I really hope so. Okay. I really hope so. Um, When I look back at when when I started all this journey 20 years ago, I I think I've gotten better, but I still make mistakes. That's, you know. I still don't do everything perfectly or everything right. There's a lot for me still left to grow and learn. You know, um, I've been in this for you know 20 years now, but I'm, I'm only 43, so there's there's still, you know, there's still a lot I've got to learn, and I'm trying to learn, and I pray that I'm I'm becoming a better pastor. How long from when you became a Christian until you became a head pastor? Um, so I was saved when I was 17. And we started our first church when I was 25. 25? Yeah. Right. So that's not right. long. That's like eight years. 25? Yeah. You're not good at being alive at 25. <laughs> no. I'll be, I'll be the first to tell anyone, you don't know what you're doing at 25. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, don't know if I don't know if you know what you're doing when you're 35, to be honest with you. I mean, it's... it's <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, but 25 was way too young. Like, I look back and I'm like, why did they entrust me to be their pastor? I don't know. Yeah. I made a lot of rookie mistakes during that time period. So, I guess the big question is, is everything that you just said worth the enormous salary that you receive from the 100 people that come here? (laughs) That's a good question. That's that's a good question. Again, I'm, I'm gonna let you ask them if I'm worth it. Um, I don't know if I don't know if I'm worth it. I I will say this because some people have asked, like, can't you just pastor on the side, basically? Like, in other words, have a full time job mm-hmm. and pastor. And I know people who do that. Okay, and I know that in a lot of other countries that that is common. But then I know in a lot of places that around the world, so it's not like just an American thing. I know a lot of places around the world where that's. No, their pastor is full-time. Mm. And they may not make much, but they're expected to be full-time, okay? I'll say this, that being paid sets me free to do the things I mentioned earlier. Okay. It sets me free to study. It sets me free to be available to our flock 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. It sets me free to be able to do funerals at any point in time during the week. And so I, I think that... The freedom that I have from not having to work another job is huge. And there's been times where I've worked part-time jobs while pastoring. Um, you know, when I was a senior pastor uh, before I actually worked, um, I worked a part-time job in the mornings of teaching. I mean, it's it's doable, but again, it's it takes time from you. You know, there was times I was not available to people because of, my teaching, mm-hmm. you know, like, I'm not complaining about that. I'm just saying it's a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think if I had to work a full time job now, on top of what I'm doing, it would really limit what I could do. Mm-hmm. I mean, because remember, 
I also, <laughs> I'm also married with three kids, mm-hmm. you know, under the age of 14. And so, or 14 and under. So that's, it's hard. It would be really hard to find the time to serve this church well if I wasn't being paid a full-time salary. Do you think, um, do you think the people here agree with that? I think so. Okay. Now, again, you'd have to ask them. Um, but I do think they agree with the fact that having me readily available to them and having me free to prep and to study, you know, ensure they're, they're receiving good quality sermons, I think, you know, I think they would say that's, that's an important to them. But again, you'd, you, could, you could ask them if I'm, if I'm worth the money they're paying me. I'll put a poll up on Twitter. <laughs> Great. <laughs> now I'm really nervous, actually. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and, and, and I also say this, there's actually a biblical precedent for it, for what I'm saying. And I'm not just sitting here going, well, and here's the biblical precedent of why I need to be full time. But what I'm saying is, see? Just, you see, exactly. Here's what the Bible says. But in, in the book of Acts, Paul, it says, is having to work a job as a tent maker. And so that's how he's making income for he and for those that are with him. Mm. So they're making tents. And that was like the trade, the craft that he more than likely grew up learning. And so when he would have to go to places, that's what they would do. They would make tents to earn income. And Paul says that there's a time and a couple others come to him. They bring him um, a financial gift. And he says it freed him for the work of the gospel because he didn't have to make tents anymore. He could just give himself to the work of what he was doing as an apostle and as an evangelist mm. with the gospel. And I think the same principles hold true. It just it's a it's more about the freeing mechanism of it. Mm. Like it frees me to do these things. Could you pastor and have a full time job? Yes, but would you be more restricted in doing so? Yes. All right. Well, that poll's going up on Twitter, so I'm just gonna have to take your word for all this for now. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I'm not really going to put a poll on Twitter. Oh, thank you. I hate Twitter. I just said Twitter because it sounds like the worst place. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been the one I heard this podcast. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Rumble. We have a Patreon. You can go there and sign up for a tier and send us money. All the money that we get there will be used on social media. You can follow the podcast on facebook and instagram at when i heard this podcast uh like and subscribe and click all the the upvote boxes and do all the things for all the places that you listen to and watch you can follow me on instagram and facebook at nate robinson and you can follow joseph on instagram at rev joe t this has been the when i heard this podcast and we will see you guys next time bye